This is episode number 26, Holding On, Moving On, with Stacy Johnson. Welcome, my name is Ola Gloki, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of adoptees and foster youth who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming seminar on June 23rd in Austin, Texas. A seminar where you'll have a chance to connect with hundreds of people who are going through a similar transformation that you are. A seminar where you'll hear from speakers from all over the country, including Jen Bricker, Anne Heffron, Leslie Johnson, Adele Harris, Joshua Banks, Peter Stropel, and myself included. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash hear me now. Now, let's get back to our guests. It was hard. She said, I went through 10 different foster homes between the ages of 2 and 16. A system filled with memories of rejection and abuse. A system that made Stacy Johnson realize she had nothing more to lose. A system that made her redefine the meaning of family and love. A system that helped her find her purpose in life to help other foster youth rise from all of the above. Without further ado, please welcome Stacy Johnson. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I wanted to start off this episode a little bit different from what I've done in the past. Okay. And that is I want to list out three words and I would like you to follow up with a word of your own that you think relates to the one that I said. Okay. So the first word is two. Okay. Ten. Okay. And table. Okay. I can relate those words to my life very easily. Um, when you say two, I that brings to mind the age that I was when I went into foster care. Um, my mom was an alcoholic and I, um, was, I went into the foster care system at age two because my grandmas and my great aunts, um, recognized that there was some issues, you know, with my mom and that I wasn't safe and mm -hmm. that things were happening, um, that were putting me in jeopardy. And so they called CPS and at age two, I was put into the foster care system. So that reminds me of, of that when you say two. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about 10? That is actually the age, or that is the amount of foster homes that I was in between the ages of 2 and 15. So mm -hmm. I was in 10 different placements. I went into foster care when I was 2, and I went from placement to placement after that, um, 10 in all, where I eventually ended up in a group home uh, for my 10th placement. And so that was the number of placements that I was actually in in, in foster care. And table? Table of Grace is the name of my nonprofit that I have um, opened three years ago. It's an emergency shelter for foster kids. And um, 
I came up with that name because there's a there's a song um, called Table of Grace by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. It's a song, and the main chorus says, where the cup's never empty and the plate's always full, you're always welcome at the Table of Grace. And so that song gave me the idea for the name for my shelter for foster kids because growing up in foster care, I've always wanted to help foster kids, and, um, you know, I eventually got that chance about um, – Four years ago when That's I was awesome. encouraged to follow my dream. That's amazing. Yeah. One of the things I want to dive into is actually your experience of growing up in foster care. And the question I have is, where do you look for hope or inspiration during your abusive foster care upbringing? Okay, so that is super easy because my number one escape from the abuse and neglect and, and different things that I suffered um, throughout my childhood, my my escape and my hope was um, was books. I read books. And when I read books... Any in particular? I, I mean everything. everything. Anything and everything. I mean, um, in fact, when I was, when I was really young, I, I, one of my favorite authors was Lurleen McDaniel, who actually wrote about um, children, dying children. I mean, children that had AIDS or cancer or, you know, very serious subjects. But, you know, out of all the books I read, um, you know, when I was young, I mean, I mean, it was Choose Your Own Adventure and it was Nancy Drew and it was, you know, these Lurleen McDaniel books. And it was my favorite author of all time was Christopher Pike, who wrote um, Young Adult Mysteries. Mm -hmm. And uh, in when I would read, I could escape. I was I was not in the abusive foster home. I was, you know, in the world that was created in that fiction novel. I was, I was, you know, thousands of miles away in another, um, in another life. I was another person. Like I could just be, I could, I could be in that setting and, and not be where I was. And I just loved books because, you know, you can escape, you know, Mm -hmm. in your mind. You're not really where you are. You're in the book. It's interesting that you say that because I've had a similar experience. So when I was growing up, I oftentimes had that feeling where I was trying to create hope out of nothing. Um, I I didn't have parental figures. And especially when I was at the orphanage, um, life can get so tough there that I just didn't have anything or anyone to turn to. So for me, it wasn't books, but it was poetry. Mm -hmm. The things that I would... I would do and help me process some of those feelings that I was struggling with mm-hmm. and somehow connect it and find that inspiration so that when the next day comes around, I'm able to, in a way, forget mm-hmm. about the past and focus on the future. And also looking for meaning, right? Yeah. In, in, the, in the things that were happening to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Because, I mean, it is just a, you're putting yourself in a different reality. You know? Absolutely. And... Uh, and that's and and I think that's sometimes what we need um, when we're in the reality we don't want to be in. Mm. We have the ability, and I, I was listening to a TED talk this morning, um, and because I try to put um, put good things in my head, um, I think that I've learned throughout my life that it's garbage in, garbage out, right? <laughs> so like, Absolutely. if you put good stuff in, you know, you'll have good output. So I try to listen to to positive things. I try not to watch a lot of news. You know, I try to do, I was listening to this Ted talk and he was talking about how the human brain is actually so magnificent. 
that we can manufacture happiness. Mm -hmm. Like we can manufacture happiness because just as an Olympian does before a, um, you know, before their, their trials or their, you know, sport that they do, they, they run it through in their head. They, they, they see the end result. Yes. They Mm -hmm. see themselves winning the race. They see themselves running fast. They, you know, they, they put themselves in this situation and they practice it and they can manufacture that in their head where they've actually already had these practice runs before they even do it. And so I was, I was just realizing that at that point in my life as a, as a young child, somehow I knew that without a Ted talk that I could somehow manufacture my own happiness where it wasn't about what was actually happening to me or what my circumstances were. It was how I viewed those circumstances and what I ran through my brain and the tapes that I played in my brain was, was what was how I would feel. Mm. And so, um, I think that's part of the escape. It's, it's the books, it's the, 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 um, the things that you can manifest in your, in your mind, because that's where you can kind of change your reality. Interesting. Yeah. What steps can other people take that are going on a similar journey that are trying to create, whether that's not, not even a nonprofit or for, for profit business, but something that a person that they're trying to become. So I was very, very lucky at, at a young age when I was 14, I went into a group home. Um, I actually requested to be put into a group home by my social worker because I had been from foster home to foster home and things would happen, just random things, nothing to even do with me, but like they would move or somehow it would be become inconvenient for them to have a child. And all of a sudden I would be shipped off to the next place. Like I never had like a permanent home where it was like, these are my parents. Mm -hmm. They're here for me no matter what. Like it was, it was always, it was always a, it was always sort of like a, you know, a game. Like if I could be good enough, they might keep me there. You know, um, and then ultimately that would fail. And somehow, for some reason, I wouldn't be there anymore. And so I asked my social worker, I, I would like to go into a facility. Like, if I do my chores and I follow the rules, I mean, I could just stay there, right? And she said, well, yeah, but I'm not sure that you, you know, that you really want to do that. I mean, there's a lot of, cho- you know, there's a lot of rules. It's kind of like jail. You can't really be a normal kid. Like, I'm not sure that you want to be in a group home. And I said, yeah, but if I do my chores and I follow the rules, like, I could just stay there, right? Mm-hmm. And she said yes. So I went into a group home at age 15, and or 14, and I met a therapist there um, who, he was the house therapist, and I had told him that I had a goal of getting emancipated and being on my own um, by the time that I was 15. And I was 15, I think, like in a month. And I, and, I, and I told him I wanted to, to, to be emancipated. And what that means is that you're a legal adult in the view of the state, and you're technically 18 and you're on your own. And I don't know when the last time you saw a 15-year-old, but I know that this man was not looking at me saying, oh, perfect, like you should be on your own and move out tomorrow, like everything's going to work out great. But he saw me for what I could be and not for what I was, and he gave me um, tools. Um, and I... And, I was lucky that I had someone that gave me a tool. And I'll tell you what he gave me. He, he, I told him I wanted to be emancipated. And he said, you're a little rough around the edges, but I think you can do it. We're going to have to get right to work. And he helped me find a job. He got me the book. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. It literally mm-hmm. changed my life. 
And what I'll tell you is this. This man gave me the secret code to life. And I'll tell you what it was. It was that in the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, it talks about begin with the end in mind. You know, write down goals. You know, be responsible. Take responsibility for yourself, you know, um, and for your actions. You know, you can control yourself. You know, all these things that in a possibly normal household you would learn anyway. Right. Um, But he gave me this book. And it was like he gave me the secret to life. Like, I wrote down a goal. I wanted to get emancipated. And I was going to get emancipated. I wanted to get emancipated by by the time I was 15. And he, and I wrote down that goal. And we came up with the steps that I had to follow to get there. And one by one, I took the steps and I, I did the things I needed to do. And what ended up happening was I wrote down the goal. I took the steps and the thing happened. It was like magic. It was like absolute magic. He gave me the key. It was like you can write something down, you can do a little work, and then the thing happens. Visualize it, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the very first goal that I set was to get emancipated by the time I was 15. And you know what? It didn't happen. It happened when I was 16. Mm. Okay. It took a little bit longer, and I took the steps, and I did it. And I got emancipated when I was 16. I was on my own, and it was like this man gave me the key to life. You can decide what you want your future to be. You can write down what steps you need to take to get there. You can do those steps, and then it happens. (laughs) And that's the model I've followed since the day he gave it to me. And it's worked my whole life. I can completely relate to that. I was first exposed to this a couple of years ago and I remember I was sitting down and having this conversation with a friend of mine and he's very big about visualization so he'll actually draw out the result whether that's him being on a stage whether that's him with a book or traveling whatever it is and then from there he breaks it down and he puts that picture somewhere where he can see it every single day and so I started doing that. I put it right in front of my bed. Because as mm-hmm. soon as I wake up, that's the first thing I see. And before I go to bed, that's the last thing I see. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I think I'm able to hack my thinking, even when I'm sleeping. Yeah. And I think that's important because when you sleep, you know, your brain processes, processes information much faster than when you're awake. Mm-hmm. So if that's the final thoughts that you go with, then the chances of you manifesting that are a lot higher well yeah and if your goal is right in front of your face at all times it reminds you on a daily basis is what i'm doing right now going to move me closer Mm -hmm. to the goal Mm -hmm. leave me in the same place or take me farther from that goal yeah and then you have then then you have a reason for living you have a reason for whatever choice you make and i and that's what i try to give the kids that live at the shelter is i honestly believe that if you have hope and a goal that your life is fulfilled because you will work to fulfill that goal and your life has meaning Mm -hmm. and it and you have something to focus on other than your pain your suffering your um you know current problems you know, how you look that day, you know, whatever your, your issues are. If you have a goal and you can say, I'm going to take these steps and whatever I, what this goal is and what matters to me 
every day I can take a look at what I'm doing and say, is this moving me closer or farther away? Mm -hmm. And you can judge everything that you do every single day based on that. And um, I think that's what got me through every tough time in my life was here's my goal. Is this moving me closer or farther away? And then I had the, I was able to make the choice. It was easy to make the choice. Mm. So how, how do you view success then? Because, you know, in, in today's world, I've noticed that success is oftentimes based on that final result. Mm-hmm. So if it, whatever, if you're trying to raise a certain amount of money, if you're trying to publish a book or become a type of person, so much of it is focused on that final destination. For me, it's the polar opposite. I think of success as that process. Oh, absolutely. Even if you like the learning, I think that's the most important part. It's not really the milestones that you achieve, mm-hmm. although they play a big role because that's the targets you're trying to hit. That's mm-hmm. the motivation that you get. Mm-hmm. But for those that think otherwise, for those that think, okay, if publishing a book is that success, how can they break through that? Okay, so there's so much involved in that. but mm-hmm. And I've learned so much about this recently. But honestly, it's the journey. If you're not happy with the journey, you're not happy with the result. You will not. If you're not happy going through the journey to write that book, like once the book's a success, you're not going to be any happier than you were the day before. Yeah. Like it, I, I, Honestly, it, it, it is the journey. And it's when you're solving problems and you're meeting goals and you're doing things and you're working towards it. It's, it it really is the journey. It's not once you get there. And, and actually that was part of the, part of the Ted talk that was so surprising is they did a study where it said the level of happiness between someone a year after one of two events. Okay. So you visualize the one event was winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. And you visualize that, and of course, who wouldn't want to win the lottery, and right. how exciting that would be, and like what you could do with that, and that. of course not, you know. And then the other one was becoming a paraplegic, okay. Mm. And he did a study on one year later after these two events happened, what the level of happiness was, and what he discovered was that the level of happiness between the person that had the event of becoming paraplegic and the person that had the event of winning the lottery, the happiness was the same mm. for both people and so I think it's the journey and becoming happy with what you are and where you are at any given time um I and I think that when you're working towards a goal when you have a goal and you make those little successes and you you know you move more towards it it gives you that that self-worth and that self-esteem of like I'm working towards something I'm doing I'm solving problems I'm you know doing this and doing that and then once you achieve it they actually even talk about a big letdown Mm -hmm. after achieving what my previous life coach used to call a, 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 a what was it called? A, a, a BHAG, mm. a big, hairy, audacious goal. And there's actually sort of a letdown after people achieve those big, hairy, audacious goals because it was just like they spent, this was what, this was their goal. This was now everything what? they did. Now what? Mm-hmm. What is it now? So I think that if we can just continually set the bar a little higher and and go for the next goal and go for the next thing um you can create and manufacture your own happiness um Mm -hmm. through achieving small goals ongoing when do you visualize that next step so for example you have a goal in mind but you know that there's going to be another goal beyond that and a goal beyond that i concentrate on one at a time 
concentrating on one at a time, yes, knowing I, that there's going to be another. Oh, step absolutely! After that. I mean, there's always we can always learn, we can always grow. Like, you know, it's kind of funny when this therapist gave me that book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. It sort of piqued my interest in. I I want to say self help, but I guess self improvement is more of a better word for it. Um. But it piqued my interest in self-help and self-improvement. And so after the Seven Habits book, I started to seek out other um, material to tell me how to be a better person. Because guess what? I didn't have parents to tell me how to do it. So Mm -hmm. obviously I had to figure it out for myself. So I started to um, get books and read books. And, 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 you know, as a young adult, I mean, if it was published in a book, I mean, it was fact. Just like our kids these days think the internet is facts, right? right? I mean, so if there was a book and I read it, I was like, well, this is, I believe this, this is good. And so I was reading all these self-improvement health, self-help books and, and doing the things and learning about psychology and learning about people and learning about why you make decisions and what you do and just all that knowledge and all of those things. And as I set goals and, and, and improved myself as a person, it's just all of that self-esteem I, I, lost and and that was damaged in my long hard journey through the foster care system was slowly rebuilt by my own like victories and like Mm -hmm. successes and like everything that I went through and 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 every uh adversity that I overcame and every time I came out on top it was like god I made it like I did it look at me and I slowly regained that that bit of self-esteem that I lost throughout and um and I think that if you constantly improve and you constantly look for ways to improve, you constantly have something to live for. Yeah. So. Create more meaning for your yeah. life. Yeah. I think this is a perfect transition to today's topic, actually, which is one of many episodes we'll be having this month on the subject called Path to Resilience. And the question I have for you is, what is resilience in your eyes? To me, resilience is finding a way to get through your darkest hour. Um, there's ways to get through it. And you just have to look inside yourself and find those ways. And I, I don't know how, like I said, for me, when I was young and I didn't have all the knowledge of all my self-help books and, mm-hmm. you know, all the gurus of the world, was I knew that when I read a book, I was in a different place. I wasn't in the place of abuse. I wasn't in the place of, you know, um, criticism and, you know, neglect and, you know, just not getting what I needed. Like in the book, I was in another world Mm -hmm. and it was the, it was the world that I chose. Like depending on the title of the book, I could choose the world that I was going to be in that day. And, and so that was very, very um, therapeutic to me. But I will tell you that knowledge is power. And the more that you learn and the more that you can learn about yourself, people in general, psychology, you know, just the way the world works, the, the better that you're going to make it, you know, through the world. And if you can have a hope and a goal and you can um, constantly acquire knowledge, like I think that you're moving forward. Mm. That will push you forward, mm. you know, knowledge. I completely agree with you. I think for me, resilience has always been finding a way, finding a way to keep forward, to continue on. And I, I think it's also important to know that during a day, 
I mean, there are hundreds of times when you could just say, I'm done. What's the point of this? And especially, I think, when you're trying to build something that's beyond your current knowledge, it's, it, it, it is the option that is so overwhelming and daunting. And it truly does get to a point where you think and try and understand with whatever you have available at the time is like, okay, am I doing the right stuff? Mm-hmm. Why is this not working out? Yeah. And so much of it, I, I think, just goes back to you thinking, okay, it's, it's long-term. Mm-hmm. It's long-term effects you're having, not short-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if, if you can just um, get to a place where you absorb and learn what you can, you know, when you don't know what else to do, um, I think that's a that, that's the best place to start. And and honestly, I was very lucky to have certain people in my life for very short periods of time and throughout my life that encouraged me. And um, sometimes when you can't find that within yourself, having other people to encourage you um, is a huge part of that. So I look back at that therapist and I think, if he wouldn't have been there when I went into that group home, where would I be today? I don't know. I don't Absolutely. know where I would be today without him. But he was such a small part of my life. Like, he was, like, in my life for less than six months. I mean, he was in my life for a very short period of time, but he changed the trajectory of my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean to me and and what I do with my organization is I just, if I could help one child and give them a little hope or give them a goal or do something like that, it's really not this big, crazy thing that's needed. What it is, is just a little hope, a little belief, a little affirmation. Like everybody needs to be believed in. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a supporter. Like everybody needs someone on their side, a mentor, you know, anything. And so I just want to, to, to be that for my kids, you know, because I look at all the people that had this huge impact on my life and, and literally none of them were my like long-term foster parents or my, you know, uh, these huge people that were in my life for these long periods of time. Mm-hmm. These were little, these were little things in my life where these people encouraged me. And, you know, just like when people tell you you're bad constantly, like when you're abused and, and, and you, you're told like, you're not good enough, you're not worth it. And they beat you down and beat you down and beat you down you start to believe it, right? That's like you, you become. Yes, you become what they say you are. You're not worth it. You're not this. You're not that. Well, guess what? When people tell you you are worth it, you start to believe that too. And if enough people tell tell you that you can make it and you're worth it and they give you hope and they give you something, that it just leads you to the next thing. It gives you that little bit of hope to sustain to the next bit. And that's that's where I feel like I was in so fortunate is there were a few people in my life that truly believed in me and told me that I could do it. And this one sentence people said to me, and it was a common thread was there's something about you. I think you can do it. And those people that told me that when I didn't think that there was anything about me or that I was worth anything, but these people told me there was. So I believed them. I said, you know what? There must be something about me. Because now two people told me that. Okay, now three. Yes, now three. Now four. And throughout my life, and and these people. And so when people are encouraging, 
it gives you a little, a breath of life, a breath of, you know, and so that's where, what I want to be to my kids is to be that encouragement for them and that breath of life and that little bit of hope and something that they can look forward to Mm -hmm. because you know what? We don't need to look at people for what they are in the moment. We need to look at people for their potential and what they could be because everybody can be a star. Everybody can be a success. Like they just need all the right. They just need the right environment. They need people to care. They need people to love. They need people, you know, to encourage you know, and they need to believe in themselves. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you because that's something that I've tried to build. And this is kind of the whole vision behind all of this is community. Mm-hmm. Community played a big role in my life and who I am today. And it just made no other sense to do it any other way. And so when we, when we started asking people to submit their stories or become guests on podcasts, yes, we could have gone hundreds of different routes and we could have asked guests that have millions of followers or have made thousands and thousands of dollars but uh, what I believe is that every single person has value and every single person is constantly looking for that outlet to share that they're worth something Mm -hmm. and I think once you open up to that it it changes you it changes you as a person I, I, I can still relate to days when I wasn't the most positive human being mm-hmm. when I used to refer to negativity more than positivity. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to do that. It's, it's easy to find people to blame. It's easy to find the weaknesses. But at the end of the day, why focus on the differences when we're so similar to each other mm-hmm. and we can truly help each other grow? Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, my family, my biological family are, um, how should I say? They all have issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. They all have. We all do. Yes. And one of the issues that they have is that they, um, can't see their role in their life. Everything that's in their life is a product of their circumstances and what's happened to them and what what situation they're in you know my car broke down so I can't do this or my this or this and it's always the circumstances and there's always a reason and there's always a reason why you know why it's not their fault or why something happened um in you know with my bi- biological family you know and the reason that I was in foster care you know my mom and you know, being an alcoholic and, you know, all these things. And there's always these, these excuses and these reasons and things. But at the same time, I don't know anyone else's reality but mine. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the reality of being an alcoholic is. I don't know what the reality of, um, you know, having or, you know, this or that, you know, or the other thing. All I know is my own reality and what I can do. And I was fortunate enough to learn that I can manufacture my own reality like I can look at my set of circumstances and when I was um in my 20s and I was in sales and I was making really great money and I was paying a life coach gazillions of dollars to tell me about the meaning of life she taught me something so 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 important um you know about life and that is that that your life is is what you make it 
you know, your, your life is the lens that you see it through. So you can have these terrible, terrible circumstances, but you can look at it in a different way and make it a different reality for yourself. And, um, one of the things that, um, in one of the books that she gave me was a quote from Napoleon Mm. and his quote was circumstances, hell I make them. And that's something that in my head I've said over and over and over is circumstances, hell I make them. I don't, my circumstances don't matter. Like I make my reality. I'm the one that, that chooses what it is, you know, or or what I'm going to do or where I'm at. And so I just feel very fortunate to like know those things. And because I think that sometimes people are just stuck for the simple fact of, not knowing what else exactly. to do. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, I've so, always believed it's your decisions that define who you are. It's abso- not the events. Absolutely. Like in my, in my case, your case as well, theoretically, we shouldn't be here. Mm. We should mm-hmm. not be here having this conversation. No way. Statistically, were, I'm homeless. If, if you were to ask anyone during the times when I lived at the orphanage or before that, and you said, okay, this kid is going to do something like this. Zero. Zero percent chance. No. Mm-mm. And that's what I love about you <laughs> and meeting you is that it's just amazing to me that, you know, the overcoming odds. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. is, you know, there are, are things that, that can can happen and that, you know, and, and, and that's what I feel like is my mission and your mission is to let um, – kids and everybody know that your circumstances aren't who you are exactly and we always have odds to overcome all of us yeah every single person personal or business whatever it is we all have those odds i think it's it's about finding a process that helps you overcome it Mm -hmm. final thought for today's episode and that is when the odds are completely against you what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? Books, exercise, and self-help. <laughs> um, I found, you know, in my 20s that um, I, it's actually kind of funny. I was um, thinking, you know, in my 20s, um, I had a boyfriend at the time who was a kite boarder and you know, he did all these sports and he did all these things. And I, you know, one day I thought, man, I need a hobby. I mean, I don't have any hobbies. I don't do anything. Like my hobby is reading mm-hmm. books. Not a um, bad one to have. And it's really not. But right, like I don't get out. Like, I mean, what's my hobby? Like, what do I do? And I saw this infomercial for P90X, which is like a workout video. It's sort of like a military-ish like workout. It's like push-ups and pull-ups and they and it comes with like a meal plan and it was like an infomercial. And I watched it and I thought that's my hobby. But I'm going to do that. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this system, this 90-day workout situation system. And I bought that workout video for 100. I mean, I think at the time it was like 150 bucks and it was the whole system and you got all this stuff. And that changed my life completely because, let me tell you, exercise is huge. I mean, mm-hmm. exercise has an effect on mental illness. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's going to cure it. Don't get Absolutely. me wrong. Like, but it does have an effect on, you know, mental illness. It has effects on, you know, stress level. It has effect on, 
you know, happiness and, you know, all these different Step things. Step in the right direction. Yes. And so I, you know, and of course I've read all these self-help books about habits and keystone habits and, you know, this and that. Well, exercise is what they call a keystone habit where if you exercise and you have that habit, it actually leads to having other positive habits in your life, such as eating right or, you know, doing all these, you know, it leads to those things. Well, when I was 22, I did this 90 day workout video and 90 days later I had a six pack and I'm wow. eating right. Impressive. I'm feeling better than I've ever felt in my life. Like everything is amazing. Like I just feel like on top of the world and you know, it's an interesting feeling for the first time in my life. I felt physically strong and I'm not talking about mentally. I'm talking about physically. I felt physically strong. And when you feel physically strong, there's a safety that comes with that. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's just the abused child talking or, you know, or what it is, but there was something about being physically strong that made me feel safe mm. and, and powerful. And so now, you know, at, I don't want to tell you I'm 36 or I'm 35 or 36. I can't tell you exactly, but I'm 35 or 36. And at this, at this time, it's not even about how I look anymore. Mm -hmm. Exercise is about my, um, my, my, uh, sanity. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, when you exercise, it just, it takes away a lot of stress. I mean, it just, it makes you feel good about yourself. Like, I mean, the last couple of times I exercised after like taking a little bit of a hiatus, I was almost in tears because I felt so good. It was just like, thank you. Like, this is what I need. This is exactly what I need. And if you can manage the exercise, I mean, that is just one thing that will change. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.